Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Osher Ginsberg podcast, a weekly conversation with someone that I find interesting, entertaining and inspiring and I hope that you do too. If you like what I'm doing here or if you don't like it, remember that feedback, it's the breakfast of champions. So please head to iTunes and rate, comment, tell your mates about this even if you don't like it. I don't mind, I'll listen. Uh, For more information, visit the podcast page at osherginsberg.com or follow me on Twitter at Osher Ginsberg. Thank you for being here. I'm so grateful you're here. Let's get to it. My guest today is the great Australian stand-up comic, Scott Dooley. On the eve of Dooley's packing up and heading off to break into the stand-up scene in New York City, we talk about getting a start in radio by literally breaking into Triple J, Robbie Buck's raspberries, modern feminism, the perils of crossing over to commercial radio, and what he learned from hanging out with Charlie Sheen. This is a great chat. Stick with us. I hope you enjoy it. We saw each other the other night at that amazing little comedy room in Sydney. In Sydney, the lounge, the cafe lounge. Yeah, and you were just up on stage working some stuff out. Trying and I thought, you know, there's a, you've got a really interesting tale. And um, you're about to launch into this next portion of your career where you're heading to New York City. Yep. And you're going to be there for a couple of months, um, event, essentially hitting the reset button, but with all of the ammo that you've got from yeah. your career in Australia. Yeah. And I think it's just a really, you know, a really interesting point to – you know, maybe like, here's the story so far, Scott Dooley. Here's mm. what happens next. It's like a really interesting place to have this chat with you. It is weird. It is weird. It's funny you say that. It's kind of um, sort of Will Anderson because he's just done the same thing. He's kind of, he went over three or four years ago to LA. Yeah. And it's that weird thing. And I'm not nearly as big as Will is, but he was, he's like one of the biggest guys in Australia. He plays big theatres and stuff. Yeah. And he was then kind of struggling to get open mic spots yeah, in, yeah. in America. Um, and it's that thing. And now he's worked and worked. So I kind of know what to expect over we'll there. Talk, we'll talk a bit about Will and, and being in America later. But I certainly have the same story when I got off the plane. Um, hey, I'm Mr. Australian Idol. Let's go. Yeah. We had one in four people watch our finale. Hey, let's take a meeting. They're like, we're really thrilled you're the guy from the big show over there. Now, if you'd just be so kind as to get in the line behind the guy <laughs> from the big show from Canada and France and England and boom, 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 boom. Yeah. Because they're, they're all there. But anyway, we'll talk about that. Were you always the funny guy? <coughs> in high school, was it you? Was it oh, Scott Dooley? Principal's I office? Think, yeah, I wasn't naughty, but yeah, I think I was kind of uh, I was a wisecracker. Yeah. I was cracking wise at zingers. When when was the point where is it? Because I know it's that point when you, you're making wisecracks because you think that everyone else is going to find it funny. But when you make the teacher laugh before they give you detention, yeah, that's like yeah. you've crossed over. I do remember there was one. I did make a teacher laugh once, and I remember I, I once. And this is, so, this is such a weird thing, but I, uh, 
I remember I had a kid from another class come and, and tell me, oh, I heard you said something funny. And I was like, yeah, this is, I could get used to this. <laughs> this is pretty, <laughs> it was a really, it was a really weird moment. Like, hey, I heard what you said, Patterson. I'm like, what? How did you know that? Um, I don't, yeah, and this was before Twitter. No, no, I wasn't retweeted. Well, that's like school Twitter. <laughs> school Twitter. It was a real Isn't life it? retweet. That's like a real. IRL RT. Yeah, that's, that's from, and at what point did you go, you know, this, I think I might give this a shot. When did it become like- I'd way? always wanted to, like yeah. ever since I was a kid, I'd always wanted to do comedy. Mm. But it's one of those things, um, like I think any part of entertainment, you don't know how to get into it. There's yeah. no, it's not like, oh, okay, well you go to university and you do your degree in entertainment mm. and then you get your work placement in the showbiz and then mm. you become on television. It doesn't work that way. The showbiz. The showbiz. Um so you've kind of got to figure it out mm. that way. How did you get into all this? You did radio. Yeah, yeah, before it's, that. But it's, it's the weird thing of how do you get into radio? Like I, I was lucky I won a kind of competition with Triple J and that's how I got on there. Yeah. And I was writing for The Chaser and stuff like that. We've got to talk about that. Like, how, But how did you get into I started it? as a roadie and I never forget it. I, I remember it. Every day. So, what you were lugging equipment? I for- was lugging heavy boxes up and down the front steps of the Surface Paradise beer garden at three in the morning. That's real life, man. Cover picking up <laughs> vomit covered multi coils off the floor of the Broad Beach Hotel. It does not matter what time of the day you're lugging Bay that Park. stuff. That's I was a full seventeen. Day. I was yeah. seventeen years old, working in all these nightclubs um, for you know cover bands, five sets a night, forty five minute sets. First sets at nine thirty. We get off stage at two. I was a lighting guy. Got two hernias and permanent hearing damage out of it, mm-hmm. but God, you would have seen some things on those dance floors, though. Oh man, <laughs> this isn't a time when you could still smoke in nightclubs, and it was a time before security guards had numbers, before CCTV. Yeah, bro, it was free pours of Maduri, mate. Some of those pubs in Toowoomba, particularly. Whoa, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I saw some shit. <laughs> I bet you did. And I'm 17. The next youngest guy to me in the band was 27. Yeah, wow. And the oldest guy was 38. And so that's, I'm working with- That's a story there. I'm working that, with men. Yeah, yeah. Who are on the road mm. five nights a week and have day jobs. And it was- This is in a time before kind of- It was just as dance was starting to take over and we were trying to fill these beer barns that had been previously packed with your noise works, with your angels, with- This is like 92, 93. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so it was just as dance music and ecstasy were really starting to change the nightlife scene. So, yeah. But my break came from- I was unemployed. I was playing in bands. Um, so I was in, I was in a band and I was unemployoed, which is kind of goes one hand in hand. Yeah. Um, playing original music. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then I was just got like, this is stupid. I'm going to, my brain's going to fall out my ears. I hate being on the dole. It's the worst thing in the world. So I started writing letters to people mm. and I wrote a letter to every radio station in Brisbane. And well, the one that wrote back, well, the promotions director there, um, he was a guy called JJ. It was 90s FM radio. Everyone had a nickname. And JJ was one of the bar managers from one of the nightclubs that I'd worked at right. as a roadie. And he's like, I know that guy. And that was it. And wow. I was tw- Isn't it amazing? Everyone's got that weird- I was 20. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't go- And what, you went in and started doing mid-dawns? No, no I, I was Black Thunders, eight bucks an hour before <laughs> tax. <coughs> Casual. I was earning less money as a Black Thunder driver than I was on the dole for like the first two months. Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was doing Black Thunder Crosses, which is like, hey, we're on the corner of yeah. old Cleveland Road. We've got some ice and cold cans yeah. of cake, blah, 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 blah. Within six weeks, I was starting to sit in with the late night jock and 
To learn paneling? Yeah, or, she yeah, had yeah. me panel for her. Her name right. was Claire Blake. I'll never forget her. She gave me the gift of teaching me how to panel. And then... Once you got that, man, that's my Paneling is pushing, You've pushing got the it, buttons. Yeah. If, if you want to do it, learn to panel. And it's this is pre-automation. So I was firing every CD, firing every sweeper. We were playing music off actual CDs, even carts. I want to say you paneled for... Martin Malloy yeah. down the line, didn't you? All the time. I, I listened to that show. That's, that's a, a whole, good gig. That's a big part of my story is that I got to sit there and listen to those guys for three years. Yeah. Every afternoon. Um, but yeah, and so within six, I started No, I started working with Claire, just sitting in with Claire late night after I finished my shift about four weeks in, and about six weeks in, she said, I've got to take a night off. She talked to Rob Logan, the program director, said, I think he can do it. I was on air doing my first shift six weeks after starting. Sure. It was in, I was 20. Yeah. And they gave me that shot. So that but, shake when you press that first button. I remember my I, first mid-dawn, how nervous. And no I, one's around as well. You were by yourself. If this goes badly, you, you can't get help. No I, one's there. It's I the do want to, I do want to talk about, we'll talk about life as, <laughs> as the mid-dawn operator um, in a moment. But um, that was it for me. But you... You won a competition. At what point, do you remember that moment where you heard the promo on air that said, we want someone to come in and do work experience at Triple J? No, see, it wasn't that. That was the thing. It was, um, they, it was after American Rosso had left, they'd gone to Nova um, and they were only on Triple J for a very, so for international people, Triple J is a state-run youth radio station. Un, it's uncommon in anywhere else in the world. It, it pretty much, it supplies an industry it is the backbone of an entire industry of, of musicians and bands and totally. clothing stores and mm. Tumblr sites. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's this remarkable part of our culture that I really took for granted until I left Australia because it doesn't exist. So many the world. people say that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's such a unique thing and it's so important. Kind of like it, the BBC. They have a charter, they have got a set budget. Yeah. It's quite political. Things have to get voted on in or out. It's mm. it's tricky. So, you were. How did you get onto Triple J? So they. So Mel and uh, no, no. It was Charlie and Charlie Pickering and Nicole Fasati were doing the drive show, uh, and they were kind of they they were very inexperienced. They hadn't done a lot of radio, and they were doing all these. They were just trying a whole bunch of stuff. And one of the things they were trying is they wanted a mascot for the show. <laughs> and I came up with this idea. I've never entered a radio competition in my life, and I don't know why I did it, but I entered and came up with this idea for this thing, Bricky the House Brick. And I was his spokesman, and I kind of go and do some jokes. I'd never been on the radio. But the main thing is I'd always loved Triple J, so I was kind of into the idea of seeing what Triple J looked like How on the inside. How 22 or three, uh-huh. I think. And what had you been, what kind of gigs have you been doing up at this point? None. I'd been writing for the Chaser newspaper. I was still at university. Doing, yeah. studying what? Studying arts. Naturally. Naturally. The most useful degree on the planet. And, and it was so, my, my, my subject choices were so cynical. I was like, well, psychology, lots of pretty girls. Art history, that will impress pretty girls. <laughs> like, um, so anthropology, wait. I think I did, because my friend's mum was the professor and she was quite lenient on giving, getting things in on time. Let's wait one second. Let's just rewind just a second. You said you were writing for The Chaser, which is one of the most remarkable comedy teams this country's ever seen. Yeah. Most prolific. They put out so much content mm. for over a decade now. Mm. How did that happen? You were a kid. How did you get in touch with I them? Got a, I got given the paper because I was right into The Onion when <clears throat> I'd found The Onion online and then I'd heard there were these Australian cats doing a, an Australian thing like that. Mm. 
So I got the newspaper. You could only find it in certain news agencies and stuff like that. Actual hard copy. And hard actual- copy of the newspaper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, they would have still been at college at that point. They had just left. Yeah. So I, I found out- Were they about, University of New South Wales? They were at Sydney. Sydney yeah. Uni. So I was at Sydney as well, but I'd miss them. Um, uh-huh. But they- um, But I was working as a, in telemarketing yes. for <clears throat> the Australian Radio Network, ARN, doing their tracking. And tracking is where you call up, you kind of cold call and say, what do you listen to between this time and that time? And I'd do the surveys. Research. It's, Research. It's, it is an incredible thing that a lot of people don't realise that FM radio does. And it's- Constantly. They've been doing- It's like, it's it's the same as looking at your Facebook metrics, who visits when and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. what time they listen and what's th- what posts they like or don't like. But radio have been doing it for decades. And there's some- radio stations that are masters of it. They're closely guarded secrets because surveys are won and lost over the strength of this research. Yeah. So you were doing that. I was doing tracking, yeah, for, for uh, out of the old mix building in Mossman in Sydney. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh, one of the guys who's one of my closest friends still, uh, he and I got on really well and he was at Sydney Uni and we kind of started knocking around together and he knew the Chaser guys. They were a few years ahead of him at high school, uh, a few of them, and then... I was given a copy of the paper and I said to my friend Richie, I said, hey, can you give me an email for one of these dudes? Or maybe I found an email just in the thing and I submitted two or three articles and I was given a subscription by a girlfriend for my birthday and uh, so I got the first subscription. I got that email address. I emailed uh, a couple of ideas. The next subscription came and my article was in the paper. Wow. Yeah, so I was thrilled. And so I started writing. I kind of made a connection with them. I, um, Who was your guy? Uh, initially, I think it was, I think, Chaz um, and Craig Rucastle. Yeah. Wow. So I've known those guys. And then I've been intertwined with those guys ever since. So in some capacity. Now, this is weird. Someone's calling this house. But no one knows you're here. <laughs> no one knows. I don't, there's a landline. How archaic. Oh, they must have heard us teasing them. You know what? It's, it's, <laughs> an, it's an ARN uh, radio market. <laughs> they want to know if Richard Stubbs should come back. <laughs> we play the first 10 seconds of this pink song. Would you say you'd <laughs> like to stay to listening or would you like to change channels? And and it was and they do these things where they'd get uh, like a, a super cut of all these songs. And, and, and it was always, oh, what were the songs? One of them was Sitting on the Dock of the Bay by Otis Redding. Uh, and it, it, they just crash. They go, what do you think about this group of songs? And it was someone's idea of these songs were all the same. So it was Sitting on the Dock of the Bay, um, You'll Never Walk Alone by Jerry and the Pacemakers, and Gypsies, Tramps and Thieves by Cher. And they just, they, and people go, yeah, I kind of like some. <laughs> it was really weird. And you'd play him off an old tape recorder. This is how he was a tape recorder yes. then. Yeah. It was still cutting edge technology and it made them millions of dollars. It was, it was, and we'd have we'd have floppy disks and you'd you'd put you know, you'd put all your stuff on mm. it and you'd save it to a floppy disk and then give it to the guy and Whoa. So uh, uh, you're writing for the news, you're writing for the chaser. Did you have any idea that these guys were special? At, and at what point did they start to kick off and you go, holy shit, I'm associated with these guys? When Richie Cook and I, uh, along with the wonderful artist Jasper Knight, uh, were writing, writing, we had to write more and more and more for the paper. 
because they were off doing television and we started, can we swear on this? Yeah. We started referring to them as the, uh, the TV cunts. <laughs> <laughs> That's when I knew they're, they're going to be all right. Because this is when they were, Denton, doing, yeah, they were doing CNNNN. It was the N. election chase and then CNNNN. Yeah. Wow. Which I'm in as in one of the jackass stunts wearing nothing but my underwear pushing Chaz Lichardello in a trolley, shopping yes. trolley. Yes. Yeah. Of yeah. course you are. Yeah. He's such an amazing man. Chaz Lichardello is just such... It's just a, rock, a remarkable man. He's a wonderful guy. He has an yeah. incredible, incredible heart. The thing that bugs me about those chaser guys is they are all singularly smarter than I could possibly hope to be through all the knowledge I ever gain over my entire yeah. life at one moment. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, they are very, yeah, they're, yeah, they're, they're sickeningly intelligent, those so guys. So, with that as your backbone, mm. you turn up to this afternoon show with Charlie and Nicole going, hey, I've been running for The Chaser, you've got this No, pedigree. not at all, I hadn't really been saying that. And, and you've got to bear in mind, at this stage, The Chaser wasn't very well known. It was really a Sydney thing, mm. and it, it, had a, it had a good following, but the following was... Um, you know, people that were kind of hip to that kind of stuff. It wasn't. It wasn't a big, wide audience. Like yeah. I wouldn't. Like if you said you wrote for the Chaser newspaper, you weren't going to get laid. You know what I mean? Like no one was that impressed. Not like by now. It. Not like now. Yeah, now it's like. <laughs> you know, Chris Taylor. Yeah. Um, Some hot chick in her late thirties who <laughs> shoots a lot of analog film would be like, "Yeah, man." That's you projecting so hard in that sentence. It is totally. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> for you for recognizing that. Yeah, no, that I'm onto that. You gotta, you gotta wake up early in the morning. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I went in and, and then I, I did this thing, this one-off thing. Charlie Pickering and I got on really well, and he was like, "Yeah, we should make it a regular segment." The then producer Mel Bampton kind of wanted it to be a regular segment. Now Nicole then made way for Mel, so then it was Charlie and Mel. Uh, and I was just there. And so that's when the work experience thing started up. So like, it would be kind of a fun character and it means that you can just come in on the show. So I just started hanging out at Triple J all the time. And that's what I did in at B105. Yeah, I just right. hung out. I was getting paid for those shifts with yeah, Claire. Yeah. I just hung out. I was yeah. just a persistent, annoying 20-year-old who was like, let me push the buttons. Let me push the buttons. Totally. And that's that was kind of like what I was like. And I look back at it now and I'm just, I'm sure you feel the same way, like, you just feel so lucky that people there were patient mm. because if that was me now, I'd be like, okay, dude, you got to, you got to give us some space here. Mm. But thankfully the people at triple J were like, yeah, no, that's all right. Like just hang out and, you know, kind of see what goes on. So that's it's kind not of like a super regulated building. They weren't worried about health and safety that you weren't like being paid. I was breaking in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Doing it, yeah, I was jumping over the fence. You would have, because you, you wouldn't need a security pass you to get in. You need a security pass, so I'd just jump in. And then the guys started to know me, so I just would walk in. But I'm sure what it was was illegal. Yeah. But I ended up getting, I remember getting, being so chuffed, I was getting $50 a week. Oh, my God. And I was just wrapped. <laughs> this, is the same with, this is the same with me when I was- That was a- like my major source of income. Outside of, a, outside of a car accident, that was my major- My major source of income was a, my car. Someone dinged into the side of an old guy, just drove and T-boned me, right? Uh, and then when I was driving to get that fixed, a guy on the other side did the exact same thing. So, the car was written off twice. And- um, my parents had moved moved away, so I was out of home for the first time. I was in my early 20s. I would have been 21 or two or whatever. And uh, I had this 85 Bluebird, and it got written off twice, and that is the only thing that let me eat for 
2003. It, I, I, it was such a blessing yeah, wow. that that guy crashed into me. Wow. And he was such an asshole. He goes, oh, mate, it's all right. And I'm like, dude, you nearly killed me. And he gave me his business card. And I was like, he was such a jerk. Wow. Yeah. Um, it was amazing. Yeah, it was so amazing. I just think of that and like, that was such a lucky double car accident. It's not often you get to say that. <laughs> so you're essentially breaking into Triple J. Um, Essentially, that's probably making it a bit more romantic. Than you're just. making a you're making a fair bit of a pest of yourself, which, in my yeah. experience, is the only way in. Mm. It's the only way in because every bastard wants a job in radio. Um, at what point was your first gig then with Mid Dawns, or did you then do some breakfast work? No, I was. That? So I was doing. I was. Hang, I was a regular on the Drive show, and around then I started doing stand up with Pickering. Um, you know, around the places in Sydney and. Um, then, but I never really worked hard enough at it, and I wasn't kind of yeah, I, like yeah, it wasn't. I was really focusing on radio, and then I started doing a couple of mid dawns, which was terrifying. And then um, I did that for a while, and it kind of slowed. You know what I mean? Like, um, and then the drive show. So I was regularly on the drive show, and then the drive shows changed. But the and the chaser guys came in. So the chaser guys are now back in my life. Chris and Craig, mm-hmm. after the success of CNN, got that gig. Um, and they were like, yeah, we want him to do stuff with us. So I'd go, so I'd do stuff with them as well. So let's just put it, let's just, we'll come back to that. Um, I spent four years doing the midnight to dawn shift. Midnight, I'm on air, 6 a.m., I'm off air. Or 1 a.m., I was on air, 6 a.m. Five nights air. a week? Uh, five nights a week, and the sixth day was a breakfast shift, so I had to turn around and do a breakfast shift. What do you mean? What the, so you do, on the Sunday, you do yep. the- I'd do Sunday breakfast, I'd get off at 10 a.m., and then I'd be back there at midnight to bring it through till 6 a.m. Oh, Jesus. That's what I did for years. <laughs> so but God. I've, I've written about my experiences as a mid-dawn jock. Um, it's totally... Did you find that it was really weird that you lived in this kind of parallel universe? Well, a Triple J, it wasn't five nights a week. What was it? It was just you just do one or two a week. Oh, that's it? Yeah, that was it. So, there'd be kind of five and it was it was a good thing and I, I, I think they still do it and it was a really good way for them to kind of cultivate talent. It's so spooky being in those big buildings and you're the only one there. So weird. And and what they do at the ABC is they'd have a guy, security guard, kind of get bored and walk around all the different places. And, you know, you'd be sitting up there by yourself <laughs> and see this person would be terrifying. Um, but yeah, you'd have weird callers and, and texts and... Uh, I was a suicide counsellor. I took people, I took people oh, back from the edge a few times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a couple of those. Um, just crazy people. People are crazy. I'd have Triple J used to be a toll-free number. Yeah. And people would get hammered drunk and then on the way home they'd see a payphone and they'd call up Triple J just to tell you they were drunk. So I started doing a segment called Yes, It's a Toll-Free Number Excellent. where I'd just put lunatics to air and just have oh. these meandering conversations with, <laughs> you know, the drunks and insomniacs of the world who were desperate to hear Nirvana, you know. Oh, <laughs> and so it was great, awesome. yeah. Now, great. how did you – even two nights a week, though, is enough to really mess up your life. Yeah, it is. It messes up your sleep like you can't even believe. It's Yeah, it's good to be young, though, because yeah. you're dumb. You don't overthink that stuff. Yeah. I know when I ended up going and doing breakfast radio, it consumed me. The idea of sleep was – it was so – It's my favourite drug, sleep. 
can't get enough of it. I love it. Yeah, yeah. I remember it. It was nice. <laughs> I used to, I used to, I used to make this joke. If I could chop you out a line of sleep. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, rem- I, just, look, I, rem- I remember like living in this parallel universe that looked and smelled like the world that everybody else lived I don't in. Know but how you did that. Uh, so what would you do? So you'd get home at what you'd say six thirty quarter to. Well, seven. I would often have to hang out and then go and do stunts for the breakfast crew. So After I, doing a mid-dawn. Or, or I'd get home at 7, 6.30, 7 o'clock and then have to be back for a jocks meeting at 10 a.m. And then go back, go sleep for three hours, come back, panel Martin Malloy, go back, sleep for three hours, go rehearse with my band, then go back, be on air at one. Gee, man. I was 22. Yeah, but I still, just, that's um, that's amazing. And the thing is that people don't realise is that while you said you go for three hours sleep and then you go, three and three doesn't make six when it comes to sleep. <laughs> It does not. <laughs> you know, it's, that's just, they're two naps. You, just, you had two yeah. naps. <laughs> you know <laughs> what really. I mean? And you need to sleep as well yeah, as the nap. Yeah, it was, it, it was, it took me years to get out of that sleep hole when I first, actually technically called a sleep hole. Yeah. And it took me, I started at Channel V when I was 25 and I was barely six months out of doing Midnight to Dawns. And mm. it took me a good two years to like sleep eight hours in a row. Because before that, I'd been a roadie. So I was up, I was doing all overnight as. Can you imagine how, like, you are one of the more youthful people, one of my more youthful looking friends. Can you imagine (laughs) how young you would look had you not done that stuff to yourself in the 20s? I I reckon you'd look like a newborn baby. (laughs) (laughs) Well, bear in mind, though, I look a lot younger than all my other friends because we grew up in Queensland, which is the skin cancer capital of the world. Yeah. And I spent all of my time not in the sun (laughs) for years. Of course, yeah. The sun was just not up for (laughs) most of my life. Um, You're the original Edward Cullen. <laughs> I'd like to think a little more butch. Yeah, yeah. But you still hang around, like, they still hang around schoolgirls for some reason. <laughs> no, Scott Dooley. I'd- That's the joke Dave Jory's got, which is a very good point. It's like everyone says it's so sexy, but it's so creepy. It's like he's a 16 year old, he's a 600 year old. And the first thing he did is enroll in a high school. You're so like, wrong. Isn't that weird? So, what was it? Okay, so. That was your life for the, the, the mid-doors. I'm sure we don't need to talk about it. What was the most, you know, kind of cheekiest shenanigan thing you thought you could get away with when you are in the Triple J building all by yourself? Oh, okay. Uh, I, I used to um, – we were up on the sixth floor and what I'd do is there was a John Butler live CD and John – Butler would play these enormously long versions of his songs. So I'd put on – I think it was – Sleep or Sister or one of the songs, it went for 12 minutes and I'd run down and have a cigarette. And then Mars Volta came out with an album that had like two 20-minute songs. I'd put them on and go and smoke cigarettes. And that was – and I'd always – and this was on CDs with particularly temperamental CD players. And once I came back, it was (laughs) – skipping. The other thing that I used to do was I would pre-record the last four hours of the show on a DAT player and I would do the same thing. Even even when I was there early and like I wasn't bored, uh, I would go down and have a cigarette and Robbie Buck would be, um, he'd be broadcasting live on the next thing. So he'd put on a song, see I was gone and he'd come on and just turn the mic on and go... <laughs> and say, And say things like, my name's Scott, I'm a big lady and stuff. 
and wouldn't tell me. And then people would be like, hey, what's, what's going on? So just during the middle of a song, there'd be all these fart noises. It was Robbie Buck coming in. When you were pre-recording When I was pre-recording shift. my shift, which I wasn't allowed to do. Oh, I used to do that too. Yeah. I, it was Because I started in Mendonza in the very earliest days of the internet. So I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. And the internet machine was in another studio in another room. But isn't it... One of the most thrilling and terrifying things to leave a live radio studio running. You have, you have, unless you've done it, you have no idea that excitement. It's like, <laughs> it's like ghost riding the whip. It it's really like, literally, is. it's like being on a highway and getting out of your car mm. and just walking along next to your car as it's driving. You go, yeah. I'm not even holding the yeah. wheel. Look at what's happening over here. I think that probably says more about our personalities than uh, that, that we think that is the height of rebellion. <laughs> it's like walking out of a studio while a song's playing. We don't give a shit, ladies. But this is pre-automation. If there's no one there to push the next button, the, yeah, emergency tape come, the emergency tape comes on. And I don't know about a Triple J, but the B105 emergency tape was, ri- was made in a time before they changed the format. When I was doing the radio, the emergency it's just a cassette in a big rack-mounted thing that automatically goes on the compressor detects dead air for more than 12 seconds yes, or something. Yeah. Um, and I was at B105 when it was better music variety from the 80s, 90s, uh, from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Better right. music variety from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. But the emergency tape was B105, nothing but great rock and roll. Oh, and so were they originally a rock station? Oh, yeah. To go up against the uh, Triple M. Triple M. Well, it was FM 104 at the time, uh, which was the greatest radio station ever because I was a kid and it was the only one I knew. Yeah. Um, but so I remember it was like some Celine Dion something. Uh, no, I remember it was, I actually fell asleep at the wheel. I fell asleep. It was a Celine Dion song and I just- That's enough. So you I nodded <laughs> off. And then Steve Britton, who's the voice of Channel 9, he was the old voice of the station or someone like equally big. He goes, B105 is experiencing serious technical difficulties. Stand by. And like deep purple started. And I just- I jumped. I was airborne and I'm airborne hitting all of the buttons on the panel trying to make the next song fire. It was... Did you get in trouble for that? The thing is as well that you realise pretty quickly is that no matter what you do, I remember I swore or something and I was terrified. I was gripped by paranoia and uh, no one said a thing. Nah. And you realise, oh, that's why they're getting me to do it. Because oh, right. <laughs> no um, one's listening. So at what point did radio become the thing that you're like, wow, I can move into a better house. I can no longer worry about how much my phone bill is. Oh, that, ne- well, not until I went to Nova. But, right. there was, but that was never really the motivation. I, I, I Yeah, <clears throat> but you've got to make money, man. It's true. But I never really thought about that until I, because I, I kind of said there was a thing that uh, Will, um, Steve Kinane, uh, who else? There was, a, there was a few of us that had this unwritten law, which was once you turn 30, you leave Triple J. Oh. And I turned 30 and was going to leave Triple J and had kind of made the decision. And then um, Nova, uh, which is a commercial radio station in Sydney, said, um, do you want to come and do the breakfast show? I remember talking to you around that time when you were negotiating. That's right. Yeah, so we, were doing, we were talking. You were doing. About that. You were doing afternoons mm. at the time. And what was that like? Uh, turning the mic on for the shift that you were the work experience kid for. What was that like for you? Oh, amazing! It was a dream. I wanted to do that show since listening to American Rosso, like when I was, yeah. you know, a kid, and and listening to. Uh, you know, Judith and Helen, you know. So that was – I always wanted to do – yeah, I always wanted to do Drive. 
And then, and so I felt that there was a great sense of achievement when I did it and I did it by myself. And I was kind of, of the, say the three kind of profile radio shows that I did, which was Drive with Linda on Triple J, then Drive by Myself and then Breakfast at Nova. The one I did by myself, sounds very arrogant, but that was the one I was, I'm the most proud of yeah. because I put so much work into that. There was three sketches a day. There was, it was, it was funny, you know, uh, at times. Um, and it was something I'm really proud of. And, um, the other ones, not so much. Um, that's a lot of for different reasons. It was a lot of writing. And, you know, we talk about the skills that you learned earlier. Were you grateful at that point? Did you ever turn around and go, man, I'm lucky I wrote for the chaser this yeah, whole time? It's, it is funny that it's that thing of it, it kind of felt like um, a, bit, a bit like the last scene in a Kung Fu movie where you're like, I've got no idea why this guy's got me washing the car. And then, you know, next thing you know, you're sweeping away the, the big punch from Johnny. All so, right. Uh, and it was like, oh, yeah, right, okay. So it was a good thing I remember that and yeah, this yeah. and that and stuff. Um yeah, so it was that thing. But I think that's the same in any career. It doesn't matter. You get to a point, you're like, oh, right, this, these are the lessons I've learned. And what was it like? Because I remember what it was like when when the big commercial thing came calling. What's it like when, you know, DMG, the Daily Mirror Group, when the big giant radio machine gives you a call and says, hey, we'd like you to meet with us in a place where no one can see where we're meeting? Yeah, we, so we had the secret meetings. We're in hotels and stuff. And uh, look, it was flattering but there was a part of me that kind of there was a sense of inevitability about it like I always knew that I would go to commercial radio and but I I thought I'd stay there you know and and it was around that stage so I I went there and I kind of realized look the hours were tough for me and I I wasn't going to do it and I wasn't feeling creatively sated I think would be the word Um, and don't worry, you get you get you get married and you get a mortgage and that creatively sated feeling. <laughs> you feel creatively sated when you're like, you know what? We put the pool. In. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel. Cre- Are you happy, my dear? I'm happy. Unreal. I feel creatively sated. What do you want to say? Right back after these messages from Vitaweeks. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Trust me, brother. Once you get a mortgage, you get creatively well, sated. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I'm lucky. I don't have one of them. So I, uh, but so yeah, I kind of. It was flattering. Yeah. And then it was, I mean, you know, I spoke to every, you know, I spoke to yourself. I spoke to a lot of people that were, had done commercial radio and had, you know, because you'd, you'd obviously had really big contract offers and things like that. And you want to make sure that you're not there like going, money, 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 let's do this. You want to make sure that it's going to be a step yeah. in the right direction for your career uh, in some capacity. And how could it not be breakfast on over in Sydney after American Rosso? It was like this massive... Well, that's the problem. It was after American Rosso. So you're like, yeah. well, shouldn't, you know, like I, I'm not Rosso. So it was like, who's this guy? Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and I felt horrible. You know, I felt like, Jesus, am I the guy that broke up American Rosso? And yeah. I felt a bit Yoko and then... You know, but thankfully everyone at uh, DMG was very nice and they made me feel welcome and stuff like that. And then, yeah, we went in and did the show and it kind of lasted for about 18 months. <laughs> it's a weird thing when you're doing a commercial radio show because the metrics that you were gathering early in your career are those metrics that eventually mm-hmm. are the ones that go, because I've lost commercial radio jobs. Mm-hmm. And when they go, it's like you can't really argue. 
You can't say, but I'm really good at my job. They're like, yeah. See these numbers here? See these people here that are our demographic? See how there's zeros in this column? Absolutely. See this other person we've been <laughs> testing? See how they're all ones? Yes. Guess, uh, guess who's getting the next yeah, contract? Correct. It's not you. Well, I, 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 I always wanted to see that out of some kind of morbid curiosity. but <laughs> You don't want to see the numbers, trust me. I, I was told... And, they, and you know they're very you know they don't want to be mean to you but but they they um they said to me they you're just testing um a bit intellectual <laughs> and I thought well what the fuck does that mean <laughs> and I'm like what no, it's a bit intellectual so um yeah that yeah, was you can't it. you can't use multisyllable words on yeah, well, you gotta be careful. Yeah, that yeah, you yeah. Be careful with you. You know, you've got a wider references when it comes to breakfast radio. You've got to make it. I remember I made a reference oh, to something, and I was told, "Hey, don't mention that. If if you need to, if you need to make a reference to a band, just say Jonas Brothers." Yes, <laughs> which I thought was wonderful. No, your market, my friend. <laughs> no, your market, and so. But I kind of have a thing where I'm like. Don't be angry that your audience is dumb if you treat them like they're dumb. You know what I mean? I think there's a there's a certain disrespect to the audience when you say things like that. You know what I mean? Like, and and I find it weird that the so these they're multi multi million dollar. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Businesses, radio stations, and the people that you have are very good at their jobs. You look at, you know, and you say what you will about Carl Sanderlands, that cat is good at his job. There's a reason he gets paid that much Correct, money. Correct, right? There's he's a reason. He's really a lot of, good at what he does. That's right. That's he's right. The, I'm going to say he's probably the best... FM breakfast jock this country's seen in God since Denton decades. Yeah, well, we never got Denton in Brisbane, so oh, I never didn't really, yeah, he no, was I never really heard him. Yeah, he, uh, look, he's different. He doesn't do a thing that I do that I would, you know, that mm. I particularly am drawn to. But I, I, when you hear him, you're like, oh yeah, like he's I keeping, there, he's I keeping me there. listening. He's keeping me listening, mate. I was in there the other day. He's so. You should see him panel. You should see Kyle panel. He runs that. Panel so tight. Yeah, right. He, he's a machine. He's been doing it for mm. 15, 18 years. Yeah, yeah. Pushing his own buttons. He's a, he's a mm. machine. He's so fast. And that breakfast radio show's got. It's, it's slick. like yeah. I tried to panel that show once and they went, yeah, uh, G, G, <laughs> G, do you mind just getting around the other side and we'll get. We'll get Batty to panel. Yeah. Hey, good hustle on the panel in there, champ. <laughs> no, no, no. It's bad news. So I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, go on it too much. But a lot of people. 
it's often the things that are the most challenging to us that define us as, you know, in our career. And so, um, what's it like? What was it like when you heard that the Nova thing was ending? And when it was a bit of a, you know, the first emotions and what was it like when you I was kind of a bit upset initially. And then, um, because it's a blow to your ego, you know what I mean? Like it's an ego thing to when, you know, you're not, essentially they're saying you're not good enough. And it's true, we we weren't. Um, and then it was, um, it's, I, I guess it's kind of, you know, the stages of grief. Like, and then there was a bit of anger and resentment to the whole thing, and um, which is completely unfair. I mean, it's the nature of the, the beast. Um, and now I kind of look back at it, I'm glad I did it. It wasn't for me. It was never going to be for me that thing. And and that's that's combined that's combining you know coming from Triple J and you know you play these amazing songs and you with you know th- those guys were my friends for a decade. Still friends. I still catch up with Triple J guys all the time and and stuff like that. And you go into this new place and you kind of feel a bit weird, but um it was yeah, a great experience. So if it wasn't for you, why would you say yes to it? <clears throat> I wanted a new experience and, and I'd turned 30 and I was ready for that new challenge and I also wanted to see how I'd go in the big dance. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? There is that yeah. kind of that thing. So, <clears throat> I, yeah, I am glad I did it and I saw some things and you learn things and I mean, you know, I mean, you'd know doing kind of high profile television and, and radio and stuff, you see how you don't want to behave. Like you see, you, you watch a lot of people and you can find, and I found myself, I was kind of, I, th- I was probably getting on the verge of slipping into that. And it's this weird thing of, um, and, and it wasn't necessarily people I was working with, people, you know, just you just see things. And there's this weird thing that happens, and, I, and I'm sure it happens in every industry, where if you give someone more money, they automatically think they're a lot more intelligent and they think their opinion is more important and stuff like that. And and I watched that and that was a really important lesson to learn. It's like, dude, you're still the same retard that was back announcing pink songs. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you're not important because you drive a nice car, Scott. Just be nice. Be and, nice. Uh, before, we, before we move on, uh, the, 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 you can say what you like about it. I know you've been asked about it a lot. It, what does the general population of the people listening to this need to know about your time with Charlie Shane? Oh, I, okay. Because, um. <laughs> I mean, if anybody wants to find out about it, they can they can Google what happened with you and Charlie Shane. It was pretty ridiculous. It was so insane, man. Like, so we went over, me and Stefan Mitchell, uh, who was producing the Nova show, um, the drive, the breakfast show, and we went over and we, we had a half-hour interview with him and we ended up staying with him for four days, just hanging out. I, I went back and I did the live show with him. I performed at the live show. Were you uh, open for him? No, no, I interviewed him oh my on God. stage. Yes. On the, the, what was it, the Torpedo of Truth? Or? The, oh, I've got the, I've got a, it was I've got a like backstage that. pass with my name. I've just, I've, I've, oh, my God. Yeah. Um, I can't remember. It was something like the yeah. Torpedo of Truth. Or, yeah, yeah. yeah, the <laughs> Weapons of Mass Destruction, Torpedoes of Truth. And when I was there... Um, how, what Dennis was Rodman did a walk-on. Dennis Rodman? <laughs> Dennis Rodman. Chicago Bull Dennis Rodman? Yeah. Basketball NBA Hall of Famer Dennis Rodman. He came on with a big a goblet full of alcohol smoking a cigar that looked – it had a real Norman Schwarzkopf vibe to it, you know. So what, what was it that endeared you to him? I don't know. I think it was the fact that 
all of the interviews he was doing were these sit down face to face. How high are you right now? Where are your children? What does this mean? Mm. Whereas I sat down to him next to him on a couch and I had my hand, I had surgery, see my finger there, all the mm. stitches. I had just had surgery. So my hand was in this weird cast. I sat down next to him and I said, uh, so it's uh, been a hell of a week for you. <laughs> and he goes, uh, you got no idea, brother. <laughs> and then from there, we were off. You know what I mean? And, and so, yeah, we hung out and we were just cracking jokes and really getting on really well. So I, I, I've been back to the States. Um, uh, seemingly, I go there whenever you're not there. I always kind of tweet you and go, oh, and what was, you're always somewhere exotic. When I'm in LA, you're always in, oh, I'm in Florence or something. Oh, right. <laughs> I, was, I was doing a lot of traveling for the, uh, for the radio job, but I live, I'm in Venice Beach now. You can come and stay on the oh, couch. Oh, well, okay. Please, by all means. Um, so, um, and I went over there and went to the set of anger management and kind of, you know, wow. yeah, hung out. And yeah, so we're still in contact. We text Whoa. every now and then. That's so great. And it's really weird, but it's one of those things of- What do they, they teach you? What do they teach you to, to about what showbiz can do to someone or about the nature of what it is that we do to pay- I'm going to get paid for people to like me it's, um, yeah. in, a, in a measurable level by a demographic survey. It's just a different world over there, though. Like, yes. that level of celebrity mm. is just, you know, and he's got a team of people that are around him. He's right. got assistants and, and, you know, friends and stuff like that, and and- that's Charlie Sheen. So, you know, Brad Pitt would have the same. And yeah, you, yeah. there's just this whole kind of cottage industry of being near a celebrity. Yeah, you know right. what I mean? Which you just don't have here. It's, right. yeah, it was, I found it really interesting. And how did that affect the way? I mean, obviously, I'm just going to guess that after the breakfast radio thing ended, mm. you were like, well, Stand up is what I wanted to do at the start, and this is what I'm going to do from now on. And after seeing that Charlie Sheen thing, did that inspire you? Go like, wow, it can be this big. Like, well, no, I, I wouldn't say that. I, I, I've kind of so I've gone back to stand up. So, like I said, I was really concentrating on radio and stand up. Went on the back burner. I didn't work on it hard enough, and that's something you've really got to work at to be good at. And you've got to be getting up all the time. You've got to be trying new stuff. You've really got to push. By, yourself. by getting up, you mean like stand ups don't just show up on Comedy Channel with the half an hour of material. They've worked that half hour out in three minute chunks in tiny little dingy rooms where no one's listening. That's right. For months. That's right. And months yeah. and months. Yeah, and you do it, and you can. I mean, and you, you, were, you were at an open mic night the other night and we bumped into each other and I was down trying some material and you would have been able to see, you would have been able to tell the guys that are very good versus the new guys because the yeah. new guys, <clears throat> there's a thing, there's just not the, the confidence and stuff like yeah. that and that's what you got to work on. That's what it's, yeah. and, and it's, and I always think of radio, it's the flight hours. Yeah. The more time you're on stage, the more comfortable you are and the more comfortable you are, the easier it is for everyone because it is like, it's like leading <clears throat> you, there's a paper thin contract between you and the audience and if you break that you've lost them for good so you've got to get up and say and have the feeling that like hey i'm meant to be here don't worry you're in good hands we're going to get through this together it's going to be good because no one wants to see anyone die no one goes oh god it was so great the guy didn't have a single joke and it was really uncomfortable and he called a girl in the fat row front row fat it was so good no one ever wants that it's it makes everyone uncomfortable so you want to be okay good this guy's it's going to be okay yeah and and that's kind of what you want to do um but but to get to that point you have to work and work and work and work and work i used to tell kids on idol all the time before they were really terrifying going into the big judges rooms yeah um i'm like listen 
all they want is for the next kid that walks through that door to be the one that wins this. Yeah. And you've already won. Mm. When you open your mouth, they'll make your decision, decision if you have or not. So you're walking in. They're not walking in with going, how shit's this next person going to be? They're going, I haven't had lunch. I'm tired. I'm in Adelaide. <laughs> you know, <laughs> room service is shit. We're shooting for 15 hours today. Please, can the next kid be the one that we put on the promo? Please, please. Yeah, they're begging yeah, for the next yeah. kid to be amazing. So you've already got that up your sleeve when you stand there. They don't want you to be terrible. They want you to be amazing. And Absolutely. the same thing when you go on an open night, unless you're an absolute fuckwit and you just want to heckle and be mean. But no one does. That's the thing. That's, and that's so funny. It's that projection. Everyone, the first thing people go is, how do you deal with hecklers? And to be honest, I, they don't. People don't heckle. Like, why would you? They don't. I've like I've not been heckled ever, and I can't imagine it ever happening because you want to be nice, you want to be friendly. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, people who get heckled are guys that are saying stuff like, you know, Michael Richards. Oh, <laughs> <They're> it's <being> terrible. <laughs> you know what I mean? And people yeah. are making a stand against it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's the thing of. It kind of goes to the – there's been a big conversation in the world of comedy for the last kind of 12 months about the rape joke and can a rape joke be funny and stuff like that. And I think you find that it kind of goes to the heckling thing, which is yeah. if you're likable and you're – you can make a joke about anything. You know what yeah. I mean? People will go with it as long as it's coming from a good place. Like the other night I closed with what is it close to being a, a rape joke. It was. It was, but it wasn't, but it was in no way would it ever lampoon a victim or, or anything no. like that. It was, um, and I was really worried about that and conscious of that because I think we're in this weird world of rape culture. It's going to turn a light on. Okay. You're in a real world of what? I think we're in a weird world of, at the moment, and I spend a lot of time online, so maybe I'm a bit warped, but this world of, there's a, a rape culture and a misogyny that is going on and it's Online, yeah. Oh God, no, I'm but, but to everywhere be, in the I'm world, I'm ashamed to be a man when yeah, I read Twitter but sometimes. It's, but it's, but I also think that it's because we've. I, I feel that we may have taken our eye off the ball with feminism. I think we yeah. may have, as a society, gone. You know what? That's that. Look, Gina Reinhardt's making a lot of money. Then look at this, and it, it, you've got to keep working at this stuff yeah. because misogynists are everywhere and it's kind of it's just lack of education man. it is it's, and you see these young is. dudes go you know rape 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 ha 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 and they well if they're only expl- ex- I'm going to sound like the old man now but Good. if they're if they're only uh, I'm 39 I don't give a fuck <laughs> if you grow up you move youngsters <laughs> if you if you grow up and your only reference to what it is to have sex with a woman is looping tumbler gifts of really intense kind of choking choking and choking shit, yeah. And, and, and really rough <laughs> anal sex, that's going to be like all, all chicks want that. Well, guess what? No. Yeah. They don't. And if that's your baseline yeah. of how you refer to any woman that's not your mother yeah. uh, or your sister, then sorry, buddy, there's going to be some trouble and you, there's some education that needs to happen. Absolutely. There really, there really yeah. is. And I, I, I don't know who the onus is on. If that's, if that's, that's you listening, uh, you know, maybe go out there and uh, read some. I would, I would follow Everyday Sexism on Twitter because that'll open your eyes. Oh, isn't that a, it's, so sad? It's, it's, ama- it's amazing. It's Powerful, to- powerful Twitter. Yeah. Powerful. It's amazing though that you, it, it's funny, it's, the, it's one of those things where you read the first one, like if you go into a bit of a loop on that thing, I find myself reading the first one going, oh, it's like a two Ronnie sketch. Yeah. And then by the second one, you're like, 
Does that really happen? And the third one, you're like, fuck this world. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Don't so you? By three tweets, you're just yeah. the angriest person in the world. It's insane. Um, so, speaking of which, you've been a stand-up before Twitter and after Twitter. What's mm. it like as a stand-up? Are you afraid to tweet material out? Do you test material out on Twitter? I find I do. I, I tweet quite a lot. And, yeah, um, fantastic. Was it at Scott Dools? Scott Dools, yeah, yeah, yeah. D-O-O-L-S? Yeah. Um, yeah, and I really like it. I, I kind of... Um, and again, this is another conversation I had with Will Anderson was when it first came in, a bunch of comedians were really not into it. Uh, and they're like, man, you're just going to burn material and it's stupid and there's limits on it and stuff. And Will made the point, which is if you're funny, you're funny no matter what the parameters are. So you got 140 characters to be funny. Do it. Go for it. And I kind of look at it in that way. It's like, you know, um, so some of the things... I will tweet something and then be like, oh, that could work in a stand-up. It's, it's one line, you know what I mean? Like you're not hanging your whole – if you're hanging your routine on a tweet, yeah. you probably should spend a bit more time writing. Yeah. <laughs> just uh, just quickly getting back to, back to the uh, – what time do you have to go? Uh, oh, no particular time. I was okay. meant to meet a friend, but I, I can uh, meet up with him. That's all right. All, all right, right, cool. I'm enjoying um, this. This Will might pop up if Will comes to visit. We'll, we'll come to visit. Will Anderson? No, Goodwill. Oh, right. Oh, from across the street. Yeah, because okay. we're at Bondi, man. <laughs> Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. <laughs> so when it comes to stand-up, uh, you know, I obviously don't want to ask you what it would, how, where would you be now if you wrote now like you wrote, if you wrote then like you write now, but- how much of your day is writing? I remember hearing that fantastic story of Seinfeld, even in his gajillion dollar mansion, he had like an old school, like a, like a mechanic calendar, you know, with a hot chick on it. And he had a red cross on every day that he wrote on. Yeah, and right. if, there, if there wasn't the red cross there, it was like, and this is, I've shot 193 episodes of Seinfeld. I've got more money than God. Yeah. And he still wrote every single yeah. day. Like what is it in your routine? Is it in your day to day? Yeah, it is. So I, I've, there's an office around the corner that I go go up to that my buddies um, uh, have, and they've got a desk there. So I go and work there because I can't work at home because it's just wow. I so like, you actually leave your house. It's part of your routine. Yeah, wow, yeah, yeah, huge. yeah, yeah. So I do that, and then uh, yeah, go and write, and because I'm working on this show for the Sydney Fringe Festival, um, which has just been and gone. So that it's good to have a focus. And then, so we do other stuff. So I've got a podcast called Greenlight Boys. And so the other day we did a thing on FBI. So I had to write a kind of 30 minute radio play for that. Um, so yeah, I'm always kind of working on, on something. It's good to have that focus, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> and that creative fulfillment that you, you found lacking. Do you find, I, cause I know when I'm writing, um, I've written a, like a terrible screenplay. It's really shit. Good. But when I was working on it with my friend, it was like the most fulfilling days. Totally. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, that thing of it's just good to have achieved something. Yeah. yeah. Which is what I feel and um, what I found a lot doing like with my photography, I really find a lot that just putting that creative flow in my brain and having it as part of my every single day affects everything else that I do as well. It's not like I'm only creative when I'm shooting photos. That creativity, that part of my brain is still firing when I'm on air, when I'm at work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still going. That fitness carries over. You cross-train 
You know what I mean? It's so no, but that's true. It's like it is. It's the the muscle is a brain. There's lots of studies. The muscle is a brain. You've got to train it. You've got to keep it fit. You yeah. know what I mean? And and whether that is you know writing, you know some dumb tweets or you know taking photos or Sudoku, whatever it is, yeah. you've got to keep it active because in this line of work, like because you get paid like such stupid things to work for like 12 weeks or whatever, you can feasibly just take nine months off and do nothing. And then you kind of just become this slob waiting for the phone to ring. You've got to do- brain stops working yeah. and it's the same. I, I often tell people it's like, it's like a six pack. You can't keep a six pack if you don't go to the gym every day and watch what you eat. Mm, mm. You've, you've got to- You've got to keep in shape. Yeah, that's and right. You've got to be careful. Or do heroin. I mean, that's another option. <laughs> Look, I, I know a lot of dietitians frown on my idea. <laughs> I think you're quite getting the body fat percentages right. <laughs> and appetite is a bit of a problem when you're on the gear. Is from, it? From what I've heard. Yeah, right. I don't know. I've never done heroin. Get a bit bloat, me neither. Never no. would. Um, no, it's, weird. it's a weird one. It's funny, though, with heroin... <clears throat> Because of ice, ice is like meth is a big thing in Sydney. It's horrendous, um, horrendous that when stuff. you see a heroin uh, addict walking down the street, it's like a golden age. It's you know, like <laughs> I, I get quite nostalgic when I see the tracky and the and the flavored yeah. milk kind of coming. To- Hey mate, you know I'm like, oh, I remember you. What's up, man? Where have you been? Oh man! <laughs> but the ice guys are terrifying. Oh god, damn! There's a drug in the states, a street drug in the states called bath salts, and it's just you can so horrendous. But you can buy that. Buddy of mine um, used to he just moved back. He's an Australian guy, but he uh, was living in Santa Barbara, and he said you could buy it at the. Um, uh, the service station because it was like that synthetic cocaine it's and they'd, the they'd cook thing. it. It's the worst. That's the one that that cat ate that dude's face, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, the guy ate his face off. Shit, it just sends people completely bonkers. Absolutely. Why would like, you do that though? That's the thing. I, I understand. Like, I don't condone it, of course, but I understand people doing heroin because you talk to anyone that is on heroin, they go, "No, you don't understand." I get it. This is horrible. I've lost everything. I'm living on the street. But you've never, you don't know what I'm talking about. Like people aren't addicted to heroin because it sucks. Whereas that bath salts, you know, there's a very slight chance that you could eat a human's face. Why would you do that? And never be attached to reality again. Ever. Ever. It's so weird. Like that's what scared me. Do you know, I know this is a confession for you. I've never done LSD, right? Oh, me neither. And because, do you know why I haven't though? This is the confession part. <laughs> That'd be a weird thing to confess to. <laughs> the, the confession part is Degrassi Junior High. Yes, yeah! me too! <laughs> yeah! Shane took the drugs at the Gourmet Spew concert. Oh, yeah, yeah. Vomit something. No, they were, called, were they called Gourmet Spew? Or? It was something. It was no, a, like a ska band. Yeah, it was a punk band. Yeah, yeah, it was a really bad logo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, he never came back the same. No, he fell off a bridge, man. That's right, and he busted yeah. himself up. And he was—that was Spike's uh, baby daddy. That's right, Degrassi. And I wonder if you can torrent Degrassi. No, you can't. Mind. I've looked at it. <laughs> <laughs> All the TV shows that I wish someone would pirate for me. The TV shows that I would risk federal imprisonment for for piracy. Degrassi Junior High is one of them. Dude, I go to um, I go to JB Hi-Fi all the time. And Gourmet Scum, I think they were called. Maybe okay. Gourmet Scum. Did you just Google that? No, I, I, I tried to, but I think, yeah, I, I, I remember. You're um, so good. Yeah, I, I, no, I do remember that. 
Yeah, they. Uh, I go there all the time and ask the hip young things that work there. I'm like, hey, you got a uh, Degrassi Junior High? Under the counter, maybe. I'll just check. <laughs> what? Is, how do you spell it? I'm like, fuck this generation, man. <laughs> do you so- find it? Do you find as you're getting older? And when I say old, I mean, with some perspective, we're both in our 30s, but... Um, I am only by days, I'm pointing out. Oh, really? when do you turn... When? Very soon. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, we should have a party. I'll tell you what I'm doing okay. when you're done. Okay. I'll tell you what I'm doing for my 40th, okay, and I'm, I'm going to invite you to be a part of it. Oh, no, I'm, I'm there's something amazing <laughs> I'm that I'm going to do, but tell me, as we get older... I find I take things so much more personally <laughs> than I shouldn't, yeah, like... Right. Not indicating at roundabouts really? and people playing loud music and like I just did cranky waggy finger. I am, man, waggy I finger. am, I am. But I'm becoming that thing. I take like get off my lawn. Yeah, but totally, I'm totally that guy. But I take things like just down here on the beach. There's a graffiti wall. I now take bad graffiti really. It's you. That's disrespecting the elements, man. Like I take it really wow. personally. Yeah. So I'll, I'll tell you that the opposite for me is true. I don't. I you don't just don't it. give a shit. I'm like I've, I read the book. I read this book called The Four Agreements. Amazing book called The Four Agreements. And one of those things it's like be a, be a man of your word, and the other thing is don't take anything personally because it really it isn't about you. Really, <laughs> no, I know, no, I know that really isn't about you. And my life just got so much easier. It was like, I mean, the person not indicating is probably just, I don't know, racing to the hospital to go visit their sick mother. Oh, yeah. See, I'm like, oh, what a selfish prick. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I'm like, I take it real. And then I make up these backstories for these excellent. people. And they're hot. They're like, oh, that put fucking Holocaust denier. That's what you are. I'm like, <laughs> I hate you. I hate you so much. And I hate them so oh, much. I just try go, to think girls. of the most horrible things. Let they it go. Do. Let it go. <laughs> you don't need that resentment in your life. So for my 40th birthday, I'm going to run 40 miles. Wow. On my 40th birthday, and I'm, I'm going to invite people to run <laughs> to the finish line with me for as long as they want to run. So if you want to run the last mile with me, that's cool. You want to run the last two miles with me. You want to run the last 26.2 with me. That's a whole marathon. You run on the whole thing with me. That's fine. Shit, so, dude. I'm so gonna, where, where's the course? I'm probably going to – I was thinking maybe do it, I don't know, like Palmy – Palm Beach down to finishing in Bondi or you see that's it yeah because it's 40 also that's 40 so it's like 60 something kilometers so it's an ultra it's an ultra marathon shit how long are you giving yourself to do uh, it probably you know probably start early probably start in the morning <laughs> I won't shoot off at four in the hour no you can, I, you can do 40 miles you can do 60 something k's in a day oh yeah no totally yeah, yeah. probably yeah. Yeah, I don't know seven eight hours We'll have someone on the, in the back of the van to pick anybody else up. But yeah, so like uh, even people who just want to run the last kilometre with me, totally cool. Yeah, that's great. That's and, really and then cool. it all ends up when we have a party. Yeah. And that's, that's what I want to do for my 40th. In this house. Bad uh, move, I, Channel it's 10. It's not my house. <laughs> so exactly. I don't know where I'll be living by then. <laughs> um, so you're, just, just before we... I want to talk a little bit more about stand-up and then I'm going to ask you one final story that's got nothing to do with what we're talking about. Okay. But I think it might be a nice way to wrap up. All right. Um, next time you're on... I do want to talk about your interesting relationship with the Hilltop Hoods. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is another thing altogether. We'll, well keep that for your second, uh, okay, your second okay. appearance. And um, there's something else I did want to talk to you about. Hang on. I made, I made notes for you. I made notes for you. I'm so flattered. Episode. Yeah, of course. I'm, the six, oh, I'm interested in the Hilltop Hoods thing. The six, the six, uh, the the six si- points? Of the, the six P's. Oh, I was going to say. Know the six P's? No, as long as it's not the six points of the uh, stop the boats plan, because oh, I'll be like that politician. <laughs> no, I'm not. Uh, prior preparation prevents piss poor performance. I have heard that before. Six P's. Yeah, yeah I, um, I tweet about it all the time. Um, yeah, next time we talk, 
um, we're going to talk about um, your relationship with the Hilltop Hoods okay. and um, the absolute key to a great mafia movie. Oh uh, yeah, but that's well, next time. That's next yeah, time. Okay. I know there's a lot to go in there. Yeah, um, but yeah. I did. I did finally want to talk about. Uh, people ask me all the time. It happened today. I did an interview for a magazine, and they always ask, "Why would you leave Australia? Why are you going?" What's wrong with here? Mm. Comparing to Sydney to any other city in the world is ridiculous. It's like trying to compare the best sex you've ever, 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 ever had to whoever else you have sex with. It's mm. just not, it just doesn't matter. It doesn't, mm. doesn't even comparison. So, mm. with that in mind, why are you about to go to New York where you're just going to have to pretty much start again mm. say, hi, here I am. I've done all this cool shit in another country. Um, I've done this. Chaz Lachadello. Uh, <laughs> you don't care. Um, oh, Chazzy opens doors. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Why New York? Why not stay here and become the steady Eddie of our time or become the... Uh, I've, um, I've never lived abroad mm-hmm. uh, and I'm at an age where if I don't do it now, I never will. I ne- like I, I never will, and it'll be one of those regrets. And it is the thing of because as far as as for a stand up, as far as I'm going to go and take a shot of the title, I'm going to go live in New York over the winter as a new stand up. It's not pl- it's not well planned. Bro, no, it's, no, a, it's a bad I'm idea. Thrilled. I'm so excited for you because it's such an Australian thing to do. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go play the fucking main game. I'm going to get on the court. It's kind of like that's kind of the thing. It's the um, talking to some other. There's a few. There's a few of us over there now. Like uh, obviously Will and, and Sam Simmons and, and Rebels doing really well. And Jeffrey's fucking. Amazing. Yeah, Jim. Yeah, yeah. So there's a bunch like of dudes doing really well, and 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 girls. Uh, but it's the thing of you want to go to the Olympics, kind of thing. You know what I mean? And there's a part of that, and it's it's not quite as competitive as th- that thinking, but it is the thing of like I wonder how I'd go, and if I come it's so that competitive, mm. open mic nights at the comedy store. There's oh yeah, yeah. Guys waiting in line. Yeah, for that yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. Totally. No. So it's it's going to be. It's going to be an That's interesting what I tell experience. People as well. When people ask me, I, I use the Olympics analogy all the time. Mm. I'm like, if you were the best, I don't know, pole vaulter, mm. would you be happy with Commonwealth Games? No. Mm. You'd mm. want to see how you fared against the best on the planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's right. How have you found it? Oh, it's, it's, it's tricky. Is it's it disheartening diff- at times? Um, it is the greatest, yet at the time, worst thing that ever happened to my ego. Yeah, right, right, ever, right, ever. right. You get there and go, oh, yeah, <laughs> I really don't matter to anyone. I really, none of what I did before matters at all. All I have is the skills that I have. Yeah. That's all I think I that's have. good. I think that's healthy, though. I like, and it doesn't matter. And you don't have to be in our line of work to get something from that. You know what I mean? I think it's good for everyone I, I really to kind of be dealt a bit of a There's blow, a great yeah. phrase, find humility or humility will find you. Humility right. found me, yeah. man. And it beat me in the face for a little while until I went, okay, okay, okay. I get it, I get it, I get it. I really needed it. See, my saying is uh, find hubris, I'm great. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I got a nibble. I got to taste. I got to taste what it's like to fly first class. I got to do a CBS show. I got to do primetime network live, the gr- biggest I was the f- f- only Australian to ever host a live yeah, wow. network prime time TV show on CBS. Millions and millions of people coast to coast. It's the greatest thing on the planet. Can I get that for you? Let me get you a water. Can I, do you need a water? I'll get you something. Are you warm yeah. enough? Are you cold enough? Are you too cold? Would you like some food? I've got some food for you. This person over here, they're going to give you a rub. Uh, that person over there, when you're done, are you okay? You go and sit down. We don't need you to stand up for another two minutes. You're fine. Just sit over there. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. That happened. And then it was gone. Yeah. And you're like, oh, shit. 
I want that again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want that again. And it's that backstage pass, and then right. all of a sudden, no, mate, you can't get in the D barrier. What? <laughs> <laughs> Once you've been to the big day out with a laminate, ooh. yeah, you're never going back. You know, you're not going back with a drink ticket. <laughs> so. What are you aiming for this, you know, this, this... I don't know. See, and that's the thing as well. Like, it's the first time in my career that I'm like, I don't have a plan. Like, I've always had a plan of what I'm going to do. How so exciting I'm, It is exciting, yeah. It is. It, I mean, obviously, it swings dramatically from exciting to terrified to... But this is a bad decision. Have you read the book, The <laughs> Feel of Fear and Do It Anyway? No. That's a great one. Yeah, right. And yeah, it's like basically like the only thing that's going to stop you from feeling afraid is to go and do the thing that you're afraid yeah, of. Yeah, it's a bit, yeah. And bear in mind that every time you do something new, it's going to be terrifying. Mm. Also bear in mind that everybody else doing it is just as scared. Mm, mm, mm. And I'm just so excited for you to oh, take this, yeah. this journey because it's such a big step. It's a huge step. I mean, if you wanted, you could sit in that big breakfast radio comfy chair you could well, sign that. Well, I, I don't get to choose that. No, you know <laughs> yeah, I know I mean. what you mean. You could yeah. find that gig. You could go and do Nara or wherever the fuck. You could go and mm. you could go and find that gig, mm. and you could go and sit in it, and mm. and you could grow old and fat. Yeah, well, it's funny. Like you know, I made the decision, and then just before you know, I'd kind of made it, and it's kind of been weighing on me for a while. I was offered a, a job on television, and it, the pay was really good. And was it a show called The Bachelor? Because <laughs> no, they wanted me to be the guy, though. Now was I'm the doing problem. it. All right. They wanted, they wanted me to be. Uh, oh, wouldn't that be such a jerky move? Like, oh, you're doing The Bachelor? Yeah, I said no to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, wow. Uh, no, it was. Uh, I won't say what show, what show it was from, but I was like, yeah, no, I can't. I just can't do it. I've got to do this thing. And that would have so been. Awesome. Yeah, it's tough, though. You know what I mean? Because you're like, you're like, I like. But it's the goodwill hunting. I've got to go see about a girl. I've got to go do. Th- I have to do this yeah, thing. Yeah, for real. Man. I've got to do it. Yeah, yeah. I've got to right. know. Yeah, I've yeah, got yeah. I've got. It would just kill me if I didn't know. So excited for it. Um, it's that thing. Like, like, I always think of that Simpsons. Like, yeah, you would never know how badly you suck. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the kind of thing that I eat a guy up. <laughs> um, so I look forward to hopefully doing version two of this in New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which will be amazing. Yeah, we should. I we, might come over and, yeah, and, and hang out do. and see That'd what's going on. Yeah. You're living in the Lower East Side and like Avenue D. My hovel. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> one room. I, I, spent, I spent a week with Luke Heggie, to, uh, Tommy Daslow and um, Nick Cody. Oh, uh, wow. They were doing the New York Comedy yeah, Fest in yeah, December yeah, yeah, last yeah. year, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, November. November, so I spent yeah. a week in a tiny, small, smelly room with those Oh, men. man, those festival those festival sleeping arrangements are real life. I was on the floor. Yeah. It was awesome. <laughs> it was brilliant. I loved it. I loved it. Um, How did they go? They, I, they, they're such uh, great acts. What was amazing was watching... I've known Luke Heggie since I was eight. Is that right? Yeah. We went to primary school together, and he was the funniest at the time... I had never seen anyone be deliberately funny and go, hang on, you yeah, can sure. you can do that? Yeah, yeah, you you're can right. actively set up a joke and have this punch. <laughs> Whoa! I was, yeah. We were eight yeah, and yeah. the teacher asked a question, a hypothetical, um, if you fell out of a plane without a parachute, what would you do? Luke Heggie, eight years old, puts his hand up and say, I would go to the milk bar and grab some lifesavers because my life would need saving. <laughs> Smashed it. <laughs> and I'm going, 
<laughs> Matrix bullet time. What the fuck was that? And he's been hilarious ever since. Yeah, but, he's funny. Um, for you to do this, I'm so excited that you're just busting out of that. Well, who the fuck do you think you are going to fucking America, mate? Mm. Fuck, Australian not good enough for you. Who the fuck, 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 fuck. Fuck them. Smash it. Punch it in the face. I would like to tell the Daily Telegraph I'm distancing myself from those comments and I would like you to uh, please promote my next show when I'm in Sydney for the comedy festival. <laughs> I'm not talking to anyone in particular. I'm just, you know what I'm saying. No, like, I do. There's all people who say that shit. Yeah, oh, totally, totally. Yeah, and we're a parochial bunch and there's people as well. And so I think it's probably the internets as well, but it's that thing of... You know, people, there's going to be a bunch of, there's a bunch of people that hate me. There's a bunch of people that hate you for no other reason than they just don't. They just, sometimes it's got to be said. It's like, uh, really? Yeah. Really? Be brave, Australia. Go and be brave and support each other. Because sometimes I think as a culture, we really can do without this whole tearing each other down. If we want to compete globally, we're competing yeah. against cultures that celebrate success and mm. celebrate each other and, and feed off each other's momentum. So if we want to compete globally, that's really the only chance we got. Mm. That's yeah, awesome. I agree with that. Yeah, be brave, travel, but also be quiet. If I hear one more Australian in LA go, look how cheap Cokes are here, I'm going to fucking scream. <laughs> and with that, we'll leave you to it. Scott Dooley, thank you so much. Thanks very much, Osha. Yeah, right. Scott Dooley. Follow him on Twitter. He has one of the more remarkable Twitter feeds that you could probably ever listen to or read. Listening with your eyes, let's call it. At Scott Dooley. S-C-O-T-T-D-O-O-L-S. This has been the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. Thank you so much for you know being a part of it. If you made it this far, you're my new favorite person ever. Pretty much. That's, that's pretty much it. Um, so thanks again for listening. Head to iTunes, rate the show. Tell me if you like it. Tell me you don't like it. It's a democracy. You can tell me if you like it or don't like it. I will listening. Uh, a big thank you to Toe Hider for the music. At Toe Hider. Go and follow him on Twitter. He's a remarkable man. Go and watch him sing Bohemian Rhapsody. He learned how to do it and play it on an acoustic guitar. And he did it live in one take all in under two hours. And that's him playing guitar right now. He's amazing. For more information on our upcoming guests, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Osher Ginsberg at O-S-H-E-R-G-U-N-S-B-E-R-G. I love you. Thanks for being here. See you next week. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. 
you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.